What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special Tuesday episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. This is your host, Jill. Adam is actually in New York right now. He is doing some really fantastic and fun author interviews, which um, we'll be posting um, on the podcast in the future. So definitely be on the lookout for those in the coming weeks and months. Today's episode is another author interview, this time with Lisa Unger, New York Times bestselling author. Her brand new book, Ink and Bone, is out today, June 7th. So definitely check your Overdrive site and um, check it out along with all of her other books. For our library partners, Lisa's books are on sale in Marketplace thanks to Simon & Schuster. So this is a good time to add them to your collection if you don't already have them or to add additional copies to meet all of your patron demand. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things about the author interviews that Adam does is getting to hear about the writing process for all of these different writers. It's always so illuminating to see the different ways these writers approach their craft and their books and their stories. And so hopefully you have a favorite part of these interviews as well, because we love being able to bring these writers uh, to our listeners in sort of a more personal way. As always, you can reach out to us if you have any comments about this episode or any previous episodes. We can um, be found on Facebook and Twitter. And I have no idea why I just said Twitter in that really weird way. Um, Facebook and Twitter. And you can email us directly at feedback at overdrive.com. Adam and I love getting your emails. And we may end up reading yours on the air. So all that said, um, hope you enjoy Lisa's interview. And happy listening and happy reading. Thanks. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I am joined by Lisa Unger, a New York Times and internationally best-selling award-winning author of 14 novels, including her latest thriller, Ink and Bone, which comes out June 7th. Her books are published in 26 languages worldwide, have sold millions of copies around the world, and have been named to Best of the Year or Top Picks lists by The Today Show, Good Morning America, Entertainment Weekly, Amazon.com, and independent booksellers. Lisa, that is a bit of a mouthful. Thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It is a lot. Sometimes when I hear that, I'm like, gosh, I wonder who they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so just for our listeners, uh, I'd like them to hear from you, you know, from your mouth, what is Ink and Bone all about and what can they expect from your latest novel? Um, well, I write, generally speaking, um, psychological thrillers, and Ink and Bone, um, you mentioned that it's my, my 14th novel, and it's set in a town called The Hollows, which is a, um, a town that has uh, been featured in a number of my, my other novels as well, and it's about um, a young woman by the name of Finley Montgomery, and um, she, is, she is a psychic. She has uh, an ability to see people that other people don't see. And she is um, 
basically instead of embracing this gift, she's she's kind of railing against it in every way she can, but, you know, acting out. She's 20 years old, and she's, you know, getting tattoos and riding a motorcycle and just generally behaving badly to try to, you know, break herself out of this, um, you know, this, this place that she finds herself in. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, she realizes that her sort of abilities are beyond her, so she go, she moves from Seattle to the Hollows to be with her grandmother, Eloise Montgomery, um, who's also a psychic, to try to put a harness um, on, on this ability that she has. But instead of, you know, sort of being able to ease her way into whatever it is that she's going to become, she winds up being drawn into the investigation of a missing girl, and it's a little bit of a baptism by fire for her. And I have to ask, I'm always so curious when I talk to writers who specialize in, in thrillers and mystery, for you, what is your research process like? Because to me, I feel like if I was writing these types of characters, I would probably struggle in my own mind to kind of keep myself from going a little crazy. So for you, yeah. <laughs> what is it like with like doing the research on these different characters and just, I guess, take me through that process when you're when you're writing a novel? Sure. Well, I, you know, research is kind of a part of my life. I think if you're, you know, if you're going to be a writer, you're probably already kind of an information junkie. So I'm kind of taking in information all the time. I read a ton of nonfiction books. I even read, you know, textbooks on psychology and, and profiling and, you know, pretty much anything I can get my hands on. You know, I read books about the brain and, you know, about animals and about tracking and the art of seeing and, you know, all of these different types of, of nonfiction um, topics inform me always. But I think in a, in a lot of ways, like, you know, I, I kind of gravitated as a, a writer toward um, mystery thriller because I have, I've always had this kind of dark imagination, this sort of, you know, wanting to understand why, you know, um, people are the way they are. So in a lot of ways, you know, research always kind of came first. So, and, you know, when I usually, like, before I start writing a book, there's usually, like, sort of a moment or a germ, um, you know, and I, it could be anything from a news story to a line of poetry to, you know, even just a photograph. And the best way I can explain it is if that kind of, like, initial moment of excitement connects with something, like, bigger that's going on with me, I start to have a curiosity about a certain topic. So usually I'll start reading, you know, like sort of a swath of materials um, about whatever it is that's obsessing me kind of at the moment. And it's usually if all of that kind of falls into place, I'll start hearing a character voice or seeing a, a scene over and over again. And that's usually when I sit down to write. So that's kind of the organic research process. It's sort of like, you know, a lifestyle more than any just like one action of research but then, of course, there's the other part where you're kind of writing and you run into something that you don't understand or you don't know very much about. And so um, in that case, you know, often there's a like a three-pronged um, approach to research for me. Everything, of course, begins on the Internet because, you know, these days the universe is kind of at your fingertips. Right. So everything kind of starts there. And then from there, if I felt like I needed more information to write authentically about something, I'm, of course, going to wind up with a, a bunch of books on the topic and do a lot of reading or possibly watch documentary. And then if I need even, you know, if I need even more 
like a more three-dimensional, you know, knowledge of a certain topic, then I'm going to find somebody who, who, who will talk to me about it. So that's usually how I approach it. I mean, a lot of times the research informs the novel, but in the case of, you know, run, you kind of run into the stone wall of your own ignorance, and <laughs> then that leads you to a different way of researching. So it's got a, a number of different facets. And so for you, for your for your writing process, are you the type of person who likes to, you know, wake up in the morning and says, I'm going to write from 8 a.m. until 1 p.m. and I'm going to hit a certain word count? Or do you prefer this type of method where, you know, if something inspires you, you go and you write it down at that moment? Like, I guess just kind of take us through your writing process. Yeah. So I, I mean, when I sit down, so basically from that point where I was, that I was just talking about where, you know, I've had this germ for this idea and then I've done this research and I have a voice and I, you know, sit down to write, um, that's usually where the novel begins. And for me, my golden creative hours are from 5 a.m. to noon. Uh, I don't have an, I don't write with an outline or character sketches. I write every day but I don't know what's going to happen or who's going to show up until after I'm finished writing for that day. And um, so those are my, you know, those are my really good hours. Those are my, you know, intense creative hours. But I have a daughter, so um, she's 10 years old, and so a lot of my schedule revolves around her. Um, so I generally sort of write, write during her school day, like when she leaves for school and then, you know, try to stop when she comes home. I can't always do that because... You know, I am a professional writer with deadlines, so sometimes I have to write after she goes to sleep and all of that, but I've definitely tried to balance my sort of mommy life with my with my working life, and that's kind of how um, I, I operate day to day. It makes me very, you know, disciplined about those hours that she is in school because, you know, those are my use them or lose them hours. <laughs> So I am um, I'm I'm pretty vigilant to that to that time. And I think that over a certain number of years, you know, kind of when you you've trained yourself to, you know, be creative during a certain part of the day, like it, it tends to be easier to compartmentalize it within that time than than you would imagine. And so for you, you mentioned kind of having a little bit of like a an interest in kind of people's psyches and having that kind of dark thought process now and then. <laughs> when you get done with a book uh, and you've gone through, you know, the writing process and the revisions and the editing and promoting it and talking to people like myself, when you get done with that whole process, do you kind of decompress and just get away from like the world of psychological thrillers or are you just the type of person who can kind of live in that realm and, you know, it's your brain just yeah, has to be... I kind of live there all the time. <laughs> I do. I um. I just sort of, you know. I I actually, you know, I I'm almost I'm almost always writing. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I'm editing another book, the which is the case, you know, over this phase, like the phase that I'm in right now, you know, I've already started the book that'll publish in 2018. I'm editing the book that'll publish in 2017. And I'm getting, you know, getting ready to go on the road for, um, you know, Ink and Bone, which is publishing June, June 7th. So I, I think it's just, you know, um, I kind of am always dwelling in, in this in this place of um, thinking about dark things. Like, I don't think that I, there's ever been a time in my life where I haven't had those yeah. <laughs> kind of thoughts running through my mind. So I guess I'm just, you know, lucky that I get to metabolize metabolize it onto the page. So hearing your schedule <laughs> is making me tired just thinking about it. Are you, yeah. <laughs> are, 
first off, I don't. Th- it sounds like you might not ever sleep ever. So are you a uh, a person who I likes to? I did give ca- up sleeping about five years ago. <laughs> so do you, so are you a, a big caffeine person, or are you just naturally you don't need a lot of sleep to to get your motor going? I guess I just sort of. I mean, I guess I've always been a super early riser. It's mm. impossible for me to sleep in. Like, even if I've been out late or up late, like, it's impossible for me to sleep past, like, 5 or 5.30. I don't know why. Unfortunately, my it's the same for my daughter. She's always up between 5 and 6 a.m., even now at 10. So she's now she's up doing her own, like, sort of creative work in her room. So I guess I kind of, you know, she inherited that. But, I mean, I feel like, you know, for me, writing is... You know, writing and, um, you know, the life of, of, of being a, you know, professional working writer is, it's kind of a joy. You know, it's harder for me not to write than it is for me to, you know, to be in that, in that place. So I don't, you know, I, I mean, I do, I do need breaks. I don't always take them. <laughs> Eventually my husband forces me to go on vacation and kind of chill out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I definitely love what I do. So it doesn't always feel like work in that, in that sense, which of course it is, but it doesn't always feel that way. Well, I will say I, I'm on the same page with you. I'm an early riser as well. You know, it could be a Saturday morning and I'm up at, at six yeah. or seven a.m. There's something, there's something really nice about, you know, accomplishing a day's worth of work and looking up and it's like 1030 and you're like, all right. I have a exactly. So, so I am right. I'm right there with you. I can appreciate that. Um, yeah. Those are like the golden hours. I mean, nobody wants that time, you know, like it totally belongs to you no matter what. Like even if you were just went out to take a walk at mm-hmm. that time where you go to the gym at that time, like it's just you out there and a few other, you know, 5 AMers, <laughs> you know, people who are out there. Um, up with the sun. I think there's a there's a lot of power in that in that in in those hours, and also too like, you know, once the business clock starts ticking, like that, you know, that 9 a.m. hour, which always seems to me like the witching hour. Once it's 9 a.m., it's like the day starts racing by, and the phone's ringing, and there's a million distractions. But you know, in those early hours, there it's really very peaceful. I completely agree. Um, something I want to touch on that really interests me in your bio on your website. You mentioned that. You take a different path to writing than a number of other bestsellers, best-selling authors, and I totally agree with you. Basically, you'll see a lot of writers who become bestsellers, whether it's in thriller or the mystery genre, and then they tend to stick with a pattern and they hit the same beats over and over with their books. And on one hand, their writer, or their readers know what to expect, but it can get a little bit, you know, mundane. It, it's you know exactly what to expect from these writers. So, why do you feel it's so important for you to experiment with? your writing from book to book? Well, I mean, to be honest, choice is not always a big part of my process. You know, like I don't feel like, I I don't feel like I ever chose to be a writer. I feel like in a way I was just born with that. And, you know, I don't really feel like I chose to write a sort of mystery thriller um, either. Like that's just sort of what, you know, that's where my curiosity and, you know, sort of my drive took me like this really, sort of, you know, deep dive into character and, you know, human nature, what makes us tech, you know, what are the things that form us? So those are questions, you know, that, that I have and all my fiction I think is driven by, is driven by, you know, my desire to answer questions I have about people and, um, you know, just sort of my, my love of being in a, in a story world that, that I created. So, I think that it's not that I, it's not necessarily that I choose to write something different every time or that 
I choose to, you know, not do the, the same character, the same, um, you know, the same structure of story every single time. It's not, you know, obviously plenty of people are doing that to, to great success. Um, but it's just more that I'm, I'm driven by something more organic than that. You know, I follow the voices that are in my head. You know, I follow the things that make me feel passionately curious. And, you know, I get very involved with my individual characters and I have a great, you know, feeling of connection to them and a desire to understand them and to, you know, figure out what their story is and share that with my readers. So because it's an organic process for me, you know, necessarily it has to change, you know, as I change. You know, certainly there are, um, you know, books, I mean, a lot of the books within my, you know, body of work chain link by character or by place. But I need to, you know, be free to sort of follow the characters that are, are living in my head and go where, where they want to go. So if that means that, you know, I'm one time it's a, you know, a pure sort of, you know, psychological thriller. And then the next time we're sort of, you know, asking bigger questions about, you know, the human brain and what that might mean for psychic ability and whatnot. Like, so I have to be able to, to follow those, those voices. Otherwise, you know, it sort of, I think some of the joy would, would go away from the process. So that's kind of why I write the way I write. Um, and I don't, I don't actually think I could do it any other way. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I think if you write an autobiography, you should definitely tagline it with, I follow the voices that are in my head because that would, yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I would buy that immediately if I saw it on the bookshelves. (laughs) Okay, good. I'll keep that in mind for my, for my memoir, which I'm sure I'll eventually write at some point. (laughs) Um, So when you start writing a story, do you try to picture like the end game when you're writing it or do you start writing a story without really being 100% certain where it's going to go? Oh yeah, I have no idea where my story is going (laughs) to end. I mean, I I write for the same reason that I read because I want to know what's going to happen to those people living in my head. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea how my book is going to end when I start to write it. I don't even really 100% know what it's about Mm -hmm. until it's written. So when you aren't writing or, or reading books, you know, or, or doing research, how do you like to kind of get away from the literary world? How do you and your family, um, you know, spend that time when you're not working? Um, well, we live, we live in Florida, so we have a very, um, you know, very like sort of Florida lifestyle. So we do a lot of kayaking, um, and, uh, boating and we spend a lot of time in the, you know, in the outdoors, that's, I mean, for me, that's the very best way to, um, to decompress and disconnect from, you know, sort of the work of, of being a writer. You know, anytime I can be out in nature, um, away from machines and, you know, all the little sort of ringing devices that are, you know, constantly jockeying for attention, that, that's definitely one of my um, happiest places. Traveling, we travel a lot. You know, that too is just sort of very nourishing um, as a person and as as a writer. You know, when we're home, we do a lot of picking and kind of entertaining and, you know, um, anything that's sort of like, you know, cooking is very, you know, can be very creative and fun and yet, you know, sort of peaceful and, and centering as well. So, you know, a lot of times, even if I need, like, 
you know, a mini break from the <laughs> from the chaos of the publishing world. I'll like, you know, get into the kitchen and start cooking something because that's, you know, like sort of the heart of the house and it keeps everything very centered, I feel like, for me when I can do that. So, um, yeah, a lot of different things like, you know, just being out in the world is probably the best medicine. So I have to say I'm also uh, a little bit of a, you know, part-time chef slash cook. I do all the cooking in our house. So I'm always curious, what's like your, your go-to? Are you a baker? Or do you have like a specific like dish you like to make or some anything that you really just love getting in the kitchen and making? Yeah, I have a couple of things that I really, well, my daughter and I love baking. So that's one thing that we always do together. We're always, we're, we're huge fans of um, banana bread, like to the degree that I think we only buy bananas because <laughs> we're waiting for them to... <laughs> to turn brown so we have our you know like our banana bread thing that we love to make and then i do um i cook a lot of italian you know um that i'm i'm part italian so that's like sort of the food that i know how to make like through osmosis you know from Mm -hmm. my italian grandmother so whenever i'm really like needing to make something that i want to make a lot of and freeze it's like lasagna or chicken Mm -hmm. parm or something like that I also make, um, like a turkey chili, you know, just a yeah. very simple, mild turkey chili that my daughter loves, and that's great because you can always, you know, make a ton of that and freeze it and always have that. Um, and then, uh, I also like, you know, I love like the whole, like roasting thing, you yeah. know, like roasting chicken or even a turkey because it's so, it tastes so amazing and it's like, it's literally the easiest thing to do in the world to like fill a pan with a, you know, a chicken and a bunch of vegetables and, you know, marinate the chicken for a little while and just like, you know, it's always perfect no matter, no matter what. And it always like looks so beautiful. So that's another one of my favorite things to cook. I have to say, I, um, I struggle with baking because I like to, anytime I see a recipe for something, I'm like, oh, I can do better. So I like to kind of tinker with you know, the, the spices and different things. And baking is very scientific. You can't just say, I'm going to yeah, add, is. you can't say like, I'm going to add less flour or I'm going to change the amount of baking, baking powder. And then all of a sudden you just get like a flat loaf of bread. So I always, yeah, at your peril, do you change the ingredients in baking? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's usually what will happen is my wife will look at me and be like, just let me do the baking. You stick to everything exactly. else. <laughs> so I've learned my lesson many times over. Um, <laughs> So given that Overdrive is a library company, I love asking everyone I talk to, um, do you have a favorite or a first memory of a library or maybe a memory of spending time with your family at a library with, with your daughter? Just basically like, do you have any thoughts on, on the importance of libraries in the community? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, my mother was a librarian. Nice. So um, I have a very, very special place in my heart for libraries and librarians. <laughs> And I used to, my mom always, you know, she a lot of times used to work the, you know, I don't know if they still have evening hours because they don't here in Clearwater, but they used to, like, close, libraries used to close, like, around 5 and then open up again around 7 mm-hmm. and be open from 7 to 9. My mom was a librarian at the um, at the Chester, at Chester Library in New Jersey, and so I would go with her when she worked the 7 to 9 and, do you know, do my homework in the library, and it was like, you know, I mean what better place than a library, you know, surrounded by books. It's like, you know, one of the best places in the world. So, and I feel very strongly about libraries, much in the same way that I feel, you know, I feel strongly about, um, about brick and mortar booksellers Mm -hmm. because I think they, you know, they occupy a very 
special place in the community and that, you know, it's a place where people can still, you know, gather and, you know, be surrounded by words and thoughts and a place where you're going to just, you know, randomly walk to, to a shelf and find something that you weren't expecting. And I think that is really the beauty of the library and also booksellers as well because, you know, that act of being in a place and just finding something or having a great librarian or a great bookseller say, hey, you know, I, re- I just read this book and I really loved it. Like, there's an organic nature to that that I think we've lost in general, not just in bookselling and, li- you know, in, like, library visits and stuff, but just, like, as a culture, like, we don't gather as many places anymore as we used to. And I think that that's, you know, one of the great values of, of libraries and booksellers. So it's still a place that people can be together and talk about books. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, being, you know, Overdrive is obviously we're a digital company and we, we love ebooks right. and audiobooks. But at the same time, people always like to joke with us and say like, oh, well, I bet everyone in your company hates you know, physical books. And the truth is like, we just want people to be able to read no matter where they are anytime and anywhere. And if you walk around our office, every single one of our cubes is just filled to the brim with books. And we all have bookshelves and exactly what you said. We're huge supporters of people going into the library and, and gathering, you know, whether it's for a book club or a story time for kids. And, you know, I completely agree with you. There's something about walking into any building that is just you know, floor to ceiling stacked with books. And it's like, it's this magical experience of you can go anywhere in the world just by opening one of those books. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that, you know, I think that the, you know, the advent of the e-reader and e-books, I mean, I think that it's, you know, a positive thing because as you say, you know, people can now, I feel like a lot of people who maybe weren't reading before are reading now and reading more because they have this access, you know, I mean, I think, again, part of the reason why things are changing and maybe we don't have the same, like, sort of organic shopping experience anymore or book browsing experience anymore. It's not just true of books, it's true pretty much of, of everything. And it's a result, I think, of everybody just being so, you know, busy all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that, you know, um, having access to ebooks is, you know, in a library and even, you know, through booksellers and, and whatnot, it, it makes it, you know, just instantly like you're, you know, you're on the train and you're like, wow, I really want to, <laughs> I need something to read and you can just have it. Mm-hmm. And there's something great about that too. So, you know, it's just about, I think, striking a balance for those things. Um, so you mentioned kind of g- sort of more or less growing up in a library. So when you were younger, what were some of the books and, and authors that you liked to read? Well, I think my – so since my mom was a um, a librarian, of course, you know, she was first and foremost a huge reader and just somebody who really loved story. And my dad, too, a big reader as well, but he was a big reader of nonfiction, which I guess is why I have a love of both, you know, both types of books. And so they always had these, you know, giant bookshelves, you know, filled with books. And I was actually, I mean, I was not censored um, in any way. Like, basically, if I could reach their books <laughs> and I could read it, I could read it. So there, nothing was ever kept for me. So I was influenced by, you know, and also with my mother as well, like, she used to sort of take me. My dad hated to go to the movies, so my mom always took me with her because she didn't want to go by herself. Mm-hmm. So I was seeing, like, sort of wildly, like, inappropriate movies <laughs> at an early age, too. So I was as influenced by by some of that, but also 
you know, as far as books, I was reading everything from, you know, um, Sydney Sydney Sheldon to you know to Tolkien to to Stephen King to <laughs> DC Andrews to like the Bronte sisters, like whatever was on the shelf, I was just reading it. So I had this really like sort of like literary omnivore childhood, mm-hmm. like reading everything from science fiction and fantasy to classic literature. And I was just, I love to read. And, uh, you know, that obviously was my first, you know, the first place I fell in love with story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have a long history of being a reader. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just have one more question for you. What do you hope that uh, readers take away from reading your stories? Um, I hope that they stay up all night because they can't stop reading it. <laughs> That's the first thing. Sure. <laughs> I hope my characters stay with them after they close the book and that, you know, they have one or two things that they're thinking about that they weren't thinking about before and that they had a really good time reading. Perfect. And if I could have all those things, I'm a happy author. Nice. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. Absolutely. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.